Hi, and welcome to the Dip Chew Podcast. I'm Dip. And I'm Chew. We've been friends for over a decade. And also served in the ministry together and apart for almost the entire duration of our friendship. We'd like to invite you on this journey of listening and learning as we host conversations on what it means to follow Jesus. On this podcast, we'll talk to our peers and experts alike, listening and learning from them about walking out our faith as Christians. We'll explore the hard questions together while creating space for you, our listeners, to process these conversations. We're excited for this journey and we hope that you are too. I'm really excited about this conversation that we have today, partly because of the guest, but also because of the conversation and the direction that it went. I was not expecting us to cover some of the topics that we ended up talking about. And so, you know, even though we had scheduled this particular episode to be in season two, the conversation was just too good. So we moved it up to this week. And would you do us the honor of introducing our guest? Yes, absolutely. For today's episode, we have the one and only Lester Wong. Lester Wong is a Malaysian singer, songwriter, and producer. He graduated from the Lim Kok Wing University with a diploma in sound and music technology and is currently pursuing his BA in music in Berklee College of Music. Lester has worked as an audio engineer on major sound design projects for film, TV, and advertising. In 2021, Lester released his first EP, This Is How It Felt, under the stage name Astor Walk. The six-song EP follows his emotional journey of dealing with social anxiety and depression. The lyrics are an honest and vulnerable reflection of Lester's Christian faith and his mental health journey. So I have known Lester about as long a time as I've known Jafeth. It's been, yeah, t- 2008. It's been, it's been quite a while. Yeah. Um, and I remember bonding with you in a church foyer over CeeLo Green's Forget You. And we, we thought we were the coolest kids because we would sing F you instead of Forget You. Uh, <laughs> when it came to that part. Yeah. It was, it was um, different times back then. Jafeth, <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's a memory of Lester that you have? Oh, no. <laughs> Ooh. Well, um, I've been a fan of Lester Wong for as long as I can remember. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you may remember this, but um, I believe your fan page still exists on Facebook. Yeah, probably, yes. <laughs> uh, no, I think my favorite, my favorite memory of you is... I think one of the first songs that you've written, actually. Um, something to do about like being... Um, Unaverage me. No. Like that. <laughs> I feel like that's every unaverage guy's <laughs> favorite song. It's like, this is me. This is me. I don't have any of the. <laughs> Just ac- accept me the way I am, okay? I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Good to have you with us today, Lester. Thanks for having me. So, you are a creative and you are a musician. You have worked on some big productions in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about like, what has life been like for you the last few years in the creative industry? Mm. I have been working as an audio engineer for the past seven years. I graduated with a diploma and after that, I started working 
in an audio post-production studio. I worked as an audio engineer, so I did like a bunch of audio work for advertising, film, and TV. It was a good experience. I mean, I took the job because I thought it would be good exposure for me. It was one of like the top studios in the country. So I thought, you know, that's good. It would look great on my resume. And then the projects that I got to work on were quite exciting and with big names. Um, I'm going to name drop a little bit now. <laughs> so for like, I did like recording and mixing for advertising and brands like Nissan, McDonald's, Toyota, Honda, Waze, Asia, like a bunch of stuff. And then like for movies, uh, I did like Foley, ADR, uh, music editing, sound effects editing, sound design, got to like record uh, celebrities, both local and international, people like Yuna and Tony Fernandez. And then like on TV series, I did a bunch that ended up on like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney, Discovery, HBO. If you know the movie Guang, I was one of the sound designers on that. I mean, it was pretty cool. I was doing that for a few years. Towards the end of maybe like the fourth year or so, I kept feeling like I was supposed to be doing something else. And that, that feeling drove me crazy. <laughs> um, I felt like I was going to have a, an emotional breakdown, which was weird because like if you just like listen to all the things that I said that I was working on, it sounds like I'm living the dream, right? I'm like working on this cool project. But I mean, I didn't know it then, but my my mental health was like at a like really low at the time. I was really depressed because I was just feeling very unfulfilled in my work and in my life. I didn't know what to do, but I just knew that something needed to change. So I quit <laughs> and I decided to freelance in the meanwhile but take the like newfound freedom to kind of recalibrate and reassess my life within the last year since pandemic hit I decided to start uh, actually like making music and putting them out so that's why <laughs> that's why I released an EP earlier this year and and your EP is um when I listened to it it felt like a music journal of how you've gotten to where you are, especially right now in your journey in mental health, in your journey, even in deciding what you believe in your faith. Tell us a bit more about, you know, how did this project come out or, or where did it come out from? Yeah, uh, well, because usually how I process is I write a song about <laughs> what I'm feeling. So, so yeah, the, the EP sounds a lot like a, like a journal, like straight out of my journal and what I'm processing and the revelations that I find about myself. But with a lot of time on my hands and like there's only so much Netflix I can watch before I I get jelak. Have you gotten to the bottom of the barrel? Well, I didn't need to go there. I went to the bottom of myself before I reached the bottom of that place. Uh, so I decided, okay, now is a good time to start um, working on my mental health. But I need to give a bit of context. So before the pandemic hit, I actually had started going for therapy because I had realized that I have a severe anxiety disorder. After I realized that, they started getting worse and worse. And then I decided, okay, I need to take action. So I went for therapy. That was a few months before the pandemic hit. So when the pandemic hit, I had to stop because, you know, everything closed. Um, so then I found myself at home with a lot of time. And I thought, okay, since I've went for therapy, I've have these tools that I have gotten 
learn from it, this new stuff that I've I've um, realized about myself. Let me try and like put in the work to actually improve my mental health. So th- that's what I started doing and started uh, basically practicing a lot of mindfulness and acknowledging a lot of what I'm feeling, what I have experienced. It, I began to dig up a lot of uh, stuff that I have suppressed and have not p- processed. And so during that time, I spent a lot of time processing a lot of things that I have not processed for like maybe the past decade or more things that maybe happened in my youth in my teenage years that I did not like take the time to acknowledge or process or grieve so during that time I I, I just basically started writing all these songs that ended up on the EP how did you realize that you had anxiety disorder and after that who did you approach when you decided that you need to get help I think I was just doing some reading online and I happened to come across this article that was talking about social anxiety. And so I was like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Maybe I have that. So then I started going down the rabbit hole of researching about anxiety and what are the symptoms. And then I began to realize that, oh, I actually have all these symptoms and they're actually quite severe, like in the symptoms that are severe I like I have those and then I started to reflect on my life and like basically my whole life flashed before my eyes and I started to see oh that's that situation was actually uh anxiety like oh I did that because I was anxious like so like everything sudden suddenly began to make sense that I actually was um living with uh anxiety and it's not normal <laughs> uh, i've always thought it's like that's just life that like everyone goes through that but actually it's not so funnily enough the realization that i have anxiety did not help the anxiety because then i became aware of the anxiety all the time which like in a way gave it more power because previously like because i was ignorant of it i could just like push it away but now that it's like it's there in front of me i know what it is it became more powerful a year after realizing it i decided this is getting very bad i needed to get professional help so i started going for therapy you you mentioned that you read up about this um, online and then things in your past started to make sense do you have any recollection of during the times that you were encountering those things did you have an explanation for what was happening or was it kind of like something that happened and then you couldn't have the language you didn't have the language to process it i think i always thought that it was it was just because i was an introvert like i thought it was an introvert thing um yeah <laughs> or it's just my personality that's what i thought how much of those things happen in church settings well i would say most of it because most of my life has been spent in the church or at least in a church adjacent kind of setting being a pastor's kid and then i was homeschooled and so like all my friends uh that i made were like in church or like church related activities so meeting new people was always like usually in the context of like a church day so i would say yeah like most of the situations that i can think of where like some kind of trauma happened or the way i did something really stupid or awkward or what because of anxiety i can think of a lot of it happened like in a, in a church setting or church related activity 
Have you heard of the book Quiet by Susan King? Mm, yeah. Do you, have you had a chance to read it? Uh, I have the chance, but I have not read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I haven't read it either, but um, Lauren is reading it right now. For those who don't know, the book examines when or, or how or why extrovertedness became the preferred personality trait in our world, that people who are charismatic in speech and, and kind of expressive are given more platform, are given more room to be heard. And also sh- this author, she looks at the church she looks at situations in the church the one who can speak the loudest the one who can you know coin up the best phrases kind of that that is person is accepted as the main kind of um it's it's a quality trait that is wanted in pastors youth pastors senior pastors church leaders right this kind of like peppiness and all of that and and the the crazy thing is most people i know who are peppy in church are not extroverts (laughs) they are indeed introverts but somehow they have had to shift hearts of who they are to function in this uh uh, in this world so you you have mentioned that most of your life was it was in church so from your own experience and from your own observation like can you tell me like how has that affected you as an introvert or how do you see it affecting fellow introverts well i i can't speak for all introverts because I can only speak as an introvert that suffers from severe anxiety disorder because I know other introverts that don't have the same kind of experience that I do. But for me, I always felt like there was this pressure to um, perform or at least to be this kind of uh, gregarious or like affable and very likable eloquent loud person um, especially uh, as a pastor's kid everyone's always looking at you there's already that kind of expectation and obligations that you have to deal with but then on top of that you are expected to be like the model like a uh, worship leader or the model leader I felt very um, obligated to f- fulfill those roles and thinking back now I, f- I think actually a lot of those roles I did not like fit it properly and they they felt really difficult and um, unnatural and counterintuitive to do a lot of them. And I just feel sad because like, <laughs> like someone else could have done a better job, I think, <laughs> instead of me feeling like if not me, then who? Um, and then forcing myself to be that kind of person. It definitely was not a positive experience. Well, so Japheth, maybe this question for you. Are you truly an extrovert? Um, I mean, you know, all the personality tests seem to indicate otherwise, but maybe I am. <laughs> My anxiety isn't like in seeing people, it's in the not seeing people. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very, very important to feel safe. My question for you, Lester, is did you feel safe to find help for your anxiety and how did people respond? I did feel safe at the time when I decided to seek professional help, yes. Um, but 
I think it took a while to get there. So, um, a f- a few like a couple of years back before like uh, my realization of my anxiety, I made a decision to stop serving in church and in all ministries that I was involved in. I didn't know it then, but that was part of my mental health journey, actually, uh, realizing things about myself that I was doing everything out of expectation and obligation. And so I needed to stop that. And so when I made that decision, obviously you can expect that I got a lot of backlash. Uh, A lot of everyone did not understand. Only like one or two people in my life understood why I was doing that and supported me and even i at that time did not understand why i was doing that i was just doing it because uh, i knew i had to do it It was like a gut feeling you know like i had come to that realization that i was doing everything basically kind of like living a lie because i was doing everything out of uh, not because i wanted to but because it was expected of me and i couldn't go back from that realization unfortunately i i mean this is unfortunate i don't want to throw anyone under the bus but um because my my father is a pastor right so uh my parents didn't get it at first so i got a lot of pushback from my my parents and that's that's the toughest because you know they are the ones that supposed to give you their blessing uh especially if you live under their roof as they continue being part of the church and leading the church you have to deal (laughs) with that it's like you can't really separate from that i told my dad that i did not choose all this responsibility and expectation to come on me which is a very normal pastor's kid thing to say right Um, but my dad took it personally as me saying that pastoring was not his calling um, I can understand where it's coming from, but for me, I'm, I'm just saying this, this is just how I feel. It has nothing to do with you. Like, you know, I just, I just want you to know why I'm doing this. And, but he, he, he ruminated on that for so long that after a few months after I said that he like asked me again, so are you saying that I shouldn't be a pastor and that, you know, God's blessing is not on us because I'm a, I'm a pastor and all those kind of things. I was like, no, that's that's not what I'm talking about. So it happened, it, it lasted for uh, for maybe a year or so. Uh, after a while, then they finally got around to it and we're in a much better place now. <laughs> but initially, I guess thinking back, that was actually quite trauma- traumatizing as well. <laughs> but, but now they are supportive and they understand um, uh, that I'm on a mental health journey. And so when I say I need to go for therapy they're like yes like we support you go for it yeah yeah this is taking a different turn than what i expected <laughs> but i think no 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 no. i think it's really important so as you were talking like this is what i'm i'm, I'm suddenly like light bulb turning on and this is not going to be a popular statement but essentially some people need to quit church to get their mental health journey sorted out and I think the fear that people have is we want to solve, we, we want to have a, it, it, to me it's this, I, I kind of had this picture a while ago. It's like if you're an engineer of a train and the train gets derailed, do you try to just cope and manage hoping that at some point everything will come back on the rails or do you stop the train if you can and put everything back on track and move? And I think most pastors, most church leaders, because we take, our church culture takes 
holding a microphone, right? As the as, as the shining example of leadership, you can hold a microphone and speak in front of people and have some kind of powerful move, or you know, people feel it, right? Then like, oh, that's some kind of 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 cherished or exalted or 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 kind of desired leadership. But the fact is, it's it's a system that is eating up and chewing out a lot of people that's why we have so yeah. much burnout within yeah. the church right like it's the ugly side that no one really wants to talk about because every sunday when people come to church they have an experience without realizing that most of the experience mm. is cultivated by other people yeah. yes. who might not be in the best mental states of their life right and and the necessity for some people to actually heal by not serving yes but I fear that we don't have that strong of communities mm. or that established of communities to receive those people, yeah. right? Who are like, mm. no, I'm taking a step back. Because then it's like, okay, look, well, you're not serving anymore. You've, You've kind of astray. lost your, your, your usefulness, right? Mm. So the next person who can serve, who has a person who gets all the attention. Yeah. And it's a very... It, to me, it just it seems like such an insidious, abusive culture. Mm, yeah. But we're not we we ha- we are not really talking about it because we think that not talking about it means we honor church community, right? We're not calling it out because we don't want to talk bad about it. We want to honor, and I understand the need or want to honor. But you, I, everything that you've just said, I feel often as well. Yeah. I have latent trauma from so many things that come out very suddenly. But then I realize that actually I'm, I'm processing latent trauma and no one has gone there mm, with yeah. me before, yeah. right? And so when I access that, it comes out like mm. you back a, a wounded animal into a corner, you know, it's going to lash out. Yeah, so I'm just wondering like how much of, mm. um, you know, where we expected to have this pressure, like you said, performance, especially all three of us, we... Uh, in a sense, have been leaders or mm. grew up as yeah. seen as leaders in church or church adjacent ministries, right? And sometimes the honest truth is, I don't want to be there. <laughs> mm. I have no desire to preach. I have no desire to sing. You know, and it's not because I don't believe what I'm singing. All of that. It's just I just I don't I don't have anything to give, right? Like that that even mm. that feeling of. Um, imposter syndrome, mm. right? Because I'm not feeling it, right? Both our Asianness and our church culture, um, it has not set us up well in terms of mental health journeys. Yeah, that's true. Where are you now? In terms of, you know, do, do you feel comfortable not serving? Do you feel shame or guilt? Maybe in the early stages, was that something that was part of your journey that you just had to work out? I definitely felt a lot of uh, guilt and shame because a lot of the main reason why I, I served, especially towards the end of before I, I quit, was that the rationalizing that if not me, then who? And especially in a small church, the human resource is not a, a lot. As a pastor's kid that can, you know, do a, a quite a bit of things, I'm expected to do a lot of things. I use that as like a motivation to serve a lot. But then eventually I realized if I stop, the church isn't going to stop running without me. It's just going to continue, you know? Uh, why am I 
like torturing myself like this. But then when I stopped, obviously I felt a lot of guilt and, and shame because, I mean, obviously I was feeling it from, you know, my family and people at first. Um, but I, I couldn't shake it off. Like I, I would always feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, um, giving back to the community that gave me so much. I'm not, um, uh, honoring, you know, the, the, the covering or the blessing that is given me because my dad is a pastor, you know, that kind of thing, this kind of things that I've just been like ingrained into my mind. Um, until now, I still feel sometimes the reflex to defend myself when I say, oh no, I don't do that. Or I don't want to do that. Um, but I'm getting better at it. I think of not feeling guilty or shame, but I think it's a constant journey. Chiefith, you have any thoughts? No, I think a majority of people in the church don't know what to do. <laughs> it's, they, they don't know what to do with um, people who are going through actual mental health issues. Uh, and then what doesn't help is the over-spiritualizing of everything, right? Which, you know, for us, we all came from um, charismatic backgrounds. And so, you know, Anything that's wrong with anyone is probably a demon's fault somewhere <laughs> that you just have to bind and cast out, uh, which, you know, I think is not really helpful, you know, when it comes to mental health issues. And so because that's some people's response um, and probably majority, you know, just don't know what to do. Um, and so I do think this is an issue that needs to be talked about and, and addressed with. Mm. Yeah. The fascinating thing is, so the way I see it, lah, okay, it might not be as simple as I see it. All this almost can be solved if we tweak the focus of church to move away from programming as the main way of community and actually do the work of community as the main way of fostering community. It's so easy to choose to do a program. Yeah. Yeah. But you have so many moving pieces in a program and you need so many people and, and experts, right? Or people who know what to do and run a program. And that's why some people can live stream on, on, on hundreds of thousands ringgit or dollars of gear. And some pastors just use Facebook, you know, like there's obviously a technology gap, obviously an expertise gap, right? Mm. To me, if, if there is less programming or weaning ourselves from the dependence of programs, like we can actually achieve Mm. a lot more but somehow we don't know how to do that and that to me is like how have we gotten so far so many years into this church experience and we still yeah. haven't figured out mm. how not to abuse people how not to use and and burn out people in ministry you know yeah. and and so that to yeah i just it, it's a topic that that I'm so passionate about, I have none of the answers for. <laughs> but I think I think the way forward is church deprogramming. Mm. Right? It's so ingrained in us, even the three of us here. Like, I mean, at any point, this to me, this makes sense. Uh, at any point, if off camera or if off the stage, I'm not feeling great and I have to go on and put on a smile, right? That's... Some people might say, oh, you're choosing to have joy. But most of the time, it's not. It feels inauthentic. Mm, yeah, yep. absolutely. You know, even watching church fails, right? 
I mean, our worship fails is funny lah as a worship leader to watch worship fails. But it's so <laughs> cringy in a sense of this is a show. Yeah. It's a performance. Mm. Right? Like it just, you know, and then they they go back in and carry on as well. Like suddenly, oh, like spirits back again. And I just, I can't. There's a rumbling in me that's like, I, I just, I cannot do. I tell Lauren this all the time. I can't do church the way it is anymore. In fact, so often I feel like if we go back to normal after the vaccine and whatever, mm. I can't do church the way that we're doing it. Mm. Like I really can't. It's just, I feel so like Bilbo Baggins, right? Butter spread over too much bread. Like, that's how I feel. So for you, in your experience, like what are some of the things you've seen um, that discourage people from seeking help through that process of over-spiritualization in the church? Um, I think I, I was lucky in that sense uh, to have already kind of stepped back from church before I realized that I had an anxiety disorder and then uh, sought um, professional help. But um, I think the the usual like reaction to any kind of problem that is obviously like a mental or emotional thing is usually just to like pray for them. I feel like, um, at least from my experience in the church, um and there there doesn't seem to be this like uh how to say an avenue or like a space for there to be people to share like these kind of problems and then for church leaders to who are equipped to actually address these kind of issues and not um tell them oh you just need to read the bible and pray and but actually like deal with the issues like practically um uh i i i remember reading my after i realized that i had anxiety disorder i remember reading my journal that i've you know i've been journaling since like the teenage years um and i remember reading it and reading all the situations i was writing about and i could see like Oh, this actually this situation, <laughs> this is anxiety. Oh, this one, I actually I was feeling anxious. Like all, all these things, because I didn't know I was feeling anxious at that time. But now I when I read back, I can see that this is all caused by anxiety. But then a lot of my journal entries will end with like, oh God, please help me. Uh God, I need strength to like go through this, or like, God, why am I feeling this way? Please help me pray. And like my journals from like I don't know, 15 years old until like even as recently as a few years ago, still end that way, you know. Like nothing's changed. <laughs> like I've been praying the same prayer since like, I don't know, 15 years old and I still have the same issue and the issue only um, was, I began to like, what helped me actually is going for therapy. Like not not praying, funnily enough, <laughs> you know, like figuring out what is my core belief that's causing me, you know, to be anxious and all those kind of things is actually what helped me not praying it away. And and faith sometimes or, or what we have been told is faith in terms of understanding mm-hmm. of, 
of of God and all of that yeah. sometimes complicates that process. Yeah, because then you think that there's something severely wrong with yourself because issues are not being solved. Mm. Then yeah. it leads to ideas of maybe it just can't be solved with me. In a passage that charismatics and and faith healers like to quote a lot, where Jesus sends out his disciples mm. to cast out demons to heal the sick. Right in that passage, um, it's Luke chapter nine. Verse one to six. The word for healing that's used twice is therapeuo, which is from where we get the word therapy, therapy, which indicates that it is a long and sustained or prolonged and sustained process of healing versus an instantaneous healing. Mm. And and I'm not saying that God doesn't heal instantly. Like we have seen God heal mm. instantly, yeah. but there are times when God's grace. Or the measure of grace is given for sustained periods of time where healing needs to take place over a period of time, mm. yeah. and it's biblical, yeah. right? So the idea that you know, like you said, like you've been praying—I mean, I—I've looked back at some of my journals. I wasn't communing with God. I was—it was basically self-condemnation session <laughs> with God language in it. Yeah. Right. Oh God, yeah. I watched porn again. Oh God, I lost my temper again. God, I had these thoughts of anger again. Yeah. And and then I write, write, write. By the end of it, I never really sought the heart of God. I never, mm. you know. And then to realize that some of these core issues, some of these issues have deeper. They're symptomatic of deeper things. Of rejection, of feeling, mm. um, you know, I'm a type three uh, on Enneagram of feeling my worth through accomplishment, mm. and when I'm not accomplishing, I don't feel worth. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then taking that as like, oh, this must be punishment from the Lord, and so it, it just complicates further that mental health journey. Mm. Yeah, it does. And also, if like God didn't answer your prayer, then you start to hate God. Mm. <laughs> Wow. You start yeah. to be angry at God. Like I prayed this for God so long and then you yeah. never helped me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it actually yeah. can cause yeah. a lot of hatred towards God. Can you walk us through that song, Love Me Better? Mm. Um, and kind of... You know, uh, uh, you you've you've written about that song and how it was your journey of how can you love other things outside of you? You know, you have to start with with yourself, yeah. and that can be quite a, a challenging or counterintuitive idea yes. to Christians who yes. will say that's selfishness, that's mm. self gratification. Mm. Most Christians will choose self effacing, kind of mm. self degrading processes to love other people. And so you stumbled upon this liberating concept of if you are going to love someone else, you mm. have to start with yourself. Can you walk us through that? Uh, I think that that thought process actually like started in therapy. Like I, I really learned about that kind of thinking uh, in therapy um, because uh, so for for in therapy, I realized that the source of my anxiety is actually this core belief that I truly believe that I'm worthless and that I don't deserve anything. That's like my core belief that causes me a lot of anxiety in a lot of situations. Um, so, uh, my therapist, uh, did a lot of good work to help me to realize that I'm not as terrible as I think and that 
I need to learn how to be kinder to myself. Mm. Um, yeah. So when I started, um, you know, in the time in the pandemic and spent at home and began to process, I began to like really dig into how I felt about myself. And I realized that, that, that I really did not know how to love myself. Like I just, mm. um, the thought of just having to love or accept myself as myself felt so foreign and I had a reflex uh, knee-jerk reaction against it. Like that's something that I've been doing my whole life. And so I, I began to really work really hard and trying to change and rewire my brain to just mm. like look at myself and accept myself just the way I am. Um, and so that's how I started writing the song. I started writing like the lyrics are like, who taught you to hate your body? Who taught you to hate mm. your eyes? Yeah. Who taught you that you're nobody? Who taught you, uh, who told you to believe those lies? Mm. Um, and then um, I, through, through writing that, I, I felt like I found some kind of healing. Um, and also I realized that as I began to accept myself and be more settled within myself, then I realized that actually now I have more capacity to be emotionally available for other people. Last time I always felt like, uh, I, I just could not, um, handle emotions from other people because I was not handling my own. Um, and I just was not capable of like being there for people. Um, because I just was not being there for myself. Like I was mm. not, uh, like I was not resting or like, um, how to say, uh, treating myself well. That's why I couldn't do it for other people, you know? So, uh, I realized that once I started doing that, um, I, <laughs> I was a more agreeable person. <laughs> I wasn't mm. so irritable. Um, and yeah, so then it really dawned on me that I have to actually make sure that I'm taken care of first. Then mm. only I can take care of other people. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's why I started writing the song. Um, and it, it, it really honestly started as off as like a pep talk for myself. Like I, I wanted to write a song to mm. remind myself how to love myself because it's still a constant struggle for me. I, mm. I don't love myself every day. Um, mm. and when I, I'm feeling really terrible about myself, then I go and listen to the song and to remind myself. Um, but so then good. I thought, you know, I think it might be great for other people to hear it to it might help them too so that's why uh and people some people like uh push me to release it also because they thought it's great so i yeah that's why i i released it i wrote it and released it yeah yeah the 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 idea that if we deal with our baggage we will have more capacity for people mm. sometimes the fear and I understand from the point of discipleship pastors and leaders who, who don't want people in the discipleship process to focus on themselves, right? The, the Christian faith almost is this. Look mm. outside, focus on other people, be like Jesus. Yeah. He sacrificed himself because they fear that if you start to love yourself, then you will only be consumed with yourself. Mm. But I think that is 
that that's a it's a fallacy in uh, in thought you know so this example right when you're on a plane or when we could fly on a plane and mm-hmm. and the instructional video says you know if the cabin pressure drops or, or if oxygen is lacking uh, this mm. mask will drop down and put on your mask before yeah. you put on the mask for other people in your care yeah. and yeah. i remember ever since i could fly i always thought like oh that's so selfish <laughs> like that's not christ like like christ will put his mask on me first before he wow. put it on himself <laughs> you know um and then realizing that actually mm. i can't help someone if i'm dead yeah. <laughs> yes right you can't give if you are not alive to that's give right, like yeah. and 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 that's part of the thing too i can't give what i don't have yeah i mean in the prayer room we thought right you can't lead someone to you can't lead someone to where you have never been yourself mm. before mm. I'm actually really glad that you mentioned about support because, you know, I think um, we mentioned a little bit earlier, right? You know, how mm-hmm. some people need to leave church yep. in order to get help. And I think um, what, we're, what we're not saying is leave support, leave community, leave people. That's not what we're saying, right? Mm. What we're actually saying is, yeah, sometimes you have to leave that system. You have to leave those programs, those you know, structures. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, those structures that are just really holding you down, just really full of um, tox- toxicity and stuff. But, you know, um, the support network that you still have, the community, because, you know, we are the church, right? The church is made yeah. up of individuals and people. And I think that's something that, 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 um, that we need, you know, that we're not supposed to leave yeah. per se. Well, Lester, thank you so much. Um, I know that we can we can go on and talk yeah, about so many other things, um, but yeah, this is not meant to be an exhaustive conversation. I think what we really want to bring into the forefront of people's kind of view is that it's okay to seek help. It's yeah. okay to step back and to consider the the various things that are maybe not helpful and and even being able to look for help is also privilege right because i mean it costs oh, yeah. money yeah um, it does cost and time money. yeah yeah so we just want to acknowledge that some people might not have that i think in that case those of us who can go on such journeys should do it so that we can be the support mm. for those who don't have the privilege of yeah. paying for it Yep. or the time to spend hours you know going through processing through, yep. through trauma absolutely think it was very refreshing actually I think just even to be talking about things that typically don't get talked a lot about in a church setting I'm just really glad that we went there I think mental health and just operating from a place, you know, that is healthy is a topic that really needs to be normalized. Just even dealing with expectations, even within the church, I think was something that Lester had to deal with. And I think it's not just him. I think many of us, I think, who have served in church before, this is what we've gone through uh, in one way or another. And I I really do think it it takes boldness and courage to say, hey, look, things are not going well for me and I I need to take a step back and I need to get help. So if anything, I was just blown away, I think, by his courage. How about you, Marcus? What do you think? 
I think it was a really good conversation. Actually, it it spurred me on to um, seek help on my own. Um, to reach out to a friend who is a therapist and set up a time that uh, or a, a recurring weekly time that we can process through some of the hurts, some of the grievances that I've encountered, whether in ministry or in my own life. Because let's be real, pastors, worship leaders, people setting up church, we are all human. Right. And and we carry our emotions, we carry our thoughts into what we're doing in our ministry roles. And I mean we've seen an increase of late of moral failings of pastors, right? Or as we call it moral failings. Um, we've seen even an increase of suicide among church staff and um, yeah, I can think of a few pastors in the U.S. in the last two years who have committed suicide, who led really vibrant communities. And so I think like, yeah, leading, mm. like being a leader can be very isolating. Yeah, especially with the issue of performance. I think it's something that, that I've been wrestling with, I think, for the, long, for the longest time. I'm no longer serving in a, you know, platform or stage ministry now, but especially when I used to, you know, when I used to sing on stage and there was a lot of expectations, you know, and I really struggled, you know, with, with, with the whole performance mindset and, and mentality, you know, how do you give your best, you know, in that sense, um, and yet do it from a place of just authenticity, you know, I think the bottom line is simple. It's really, really difficult to do when there's hundreds or, you know, a thousand people just staring at you and then you are expected to lead a certain way because, you know, what if there are people who are so-and-so, so-and-so. So you are just forced to put on that mask. You are forced to maybe even lead or, or worship or pray a certain way that is different to what you're used to. And I, I think that was something that I definitely wrestled with and struggled with. One of the things that I think I did was, okay, to try to tell myself, okay, this is for them. This is not for me. I have to humble myself in that sense, force myself to put on a face just so that someone else can feel or encounter Jesus, you know, but that really did not do much for my heart at all. I just felt like I was just faking it a lot of the time. So yeah, yeah I, I think that's a very fine line between performance and you know quote and unquote the spirit of excellence and the pedestal does nothing to help foster connection yeah. there's leader and then there's the rest of the congregation and i think it's not sustainable um it really isn't sustainable mm. and moving forward we need to explore different models and methods and i hope it's something that we can do or we will be able to do on the podcast you know i don't mm. want to seem like we're always just complaining about things yeah. um you know if, if if for everyone else maybe everyone else has already been talking about this but we haven't so maybe this is our chance to talk about it right um because we do love the church and we want to see healthy relationships healthy ministers healthy leaders who don't have to resort to uh, deviance right sexual deviance or transgressions mm. to kind of mm. feel you know to be in touch with their emotions or be in touch with who they are because um there's no other avenue for them to connect yeah absolutely yeah so so i think ultimately like that that is kind of my takeaway from that conversation mm. that yeah and I think for me, just, yeah, just even like the last part, you know, when we talked about 
having a support system, you know, a support network, people around us that that we can process, that we can do life with, you know, that can help us on this journey. I think that's absolutely important. And I think it comes back to the whole concept of we are the church and we need to be there for each other. We need to be there for one another. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Dip Chew podcast by Marcus Dip Silas and J. Fifth Chew. Our guest today was Lester Wong, and you can find out more about his music on the show notes page of today's episode. We sincerely hope that conversations like these will normalize seeking professional help for mental health issues within the church. If you have any feedback or questions on our conversation today, please reach out to us at podcast at thedips.com.